Hi there, and welcome to the e-commerce marketing 101 podcast brought to you by Dash, the visual content management tool for DTC businesses. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with marketers and creatives just like you. We'll cover the campaigns and design methods they've used to grow their DTC brand so you can grow yours. I'm your host, Barney. Let's kick off today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the e-commerce marketing 101 podcast. Uh, Today, I'm excited to say we're sitting down with Ben Clark. Hello, Ben. Hello. Ben is the head of lifecycle marketing at Hairstory. Through clever use of Clavio and email marketing, Ben's main mission at Hairstory is keeping newly acquired customers engaged and turning them into loyal fans. So to say Ben knows a thing or two about customer lifecycle marketing would be an understatement. Before Hairstory, Ben's led lifecycle marketing for other DTC brands like Blue Apron, Bark, and Nutramol. Welcome, Ben. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Where are you calling in from today? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Nice. Well, greetings from very overcast Brighton. It's overcast here too, so it's oh, okay. <laughs> Good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So pretend I'm the clueless relative who doesn't understand what you do. How would you explain what lifecycle marketing means? Oh, that's a tough one because my parents and family still don't quite get it. But I think the best way to kind of explain it to them is everyone goes to websites, everyone's purchasing things. And I'm the person that kind of helps educate and get you through that, whether it's an initial first purchase. If you go to the website and you see a pop-up and you want to get more information, like that's me trying to help educate you and drive you through that conversion. And then post that experience, it's trying to give you the best most personalized kind of custom experiences you're going to have for whatever the product or the company is that, you know, you're going to and trying to make you a loyal, avid customer. If you're telling someone about a company that you love, ideally, we're doing our jobs properly because we're following up and we're making sure that we're addressing concerns, making sure that you're having the best time and experience with the service or product that you have. And that's kind of my job, you know, and I work not just me, but with customer service and product and all these other people, but like core of it, that's really what I try to do is educate you and get you excited about that first purchase and then like keep you motivated to keep wanting to continue on with that experience. Oh, perfect. Well, that sounded like a very clear explanation to me. Yeah. Maybe that was good <laughs> practice. You've got Thanksgiving coming up. Maybe yeah, I got was... Thanksgiving coming up. At the heart of thing is explaining what the companies do that I work for. So <laughs> Right. Okay. We'll get onto that. <laughs> so of all of the different types of marketing, what is it that drew you to lifecycle marketing in particular? Yeah. They didn't really teach lifecycle marketing in college. You know, it wasn't something that you could like get a degree in. It might be now, I'm not sure. But to me, like I kind of fell into it because I got out of grad school and it was 2011. And I was like, I just need a job. And I found an internship through a connection doing email marketing. And so, you know, starting to learn how to code and starting to understand how much ownership you could have within this space. You know, I had a lot of people and friends that are like, we're doing paid marketing and things like that. But like, to me, the email aspect of it and the owned aspect of it kind of became really empowering because it was like, it is what you want to make it. And then I kind of just started to get more exposure to it and starting to get recruited to go to their companies. And that just kind of got me more excited. And then when I started to go to like, moved to San Francisco and started to work at startups, it kind of really unlocked everything for me where... You know, I was like, there's so much potential with this one program, this one channel. And technically, I guess it's omni-channel at this point. When I started, it was just email, but now it's SMS and in-app and push and even direct mail and thinking about loyalty programs. And there's so much you can do with it. And there's so much flexibility and every 
audience member and cohort is going to need something a little different. Not everyone needs the exact same experience. And so always having those problems to solve, to me, is just something that keeps me excited about what I do. Nice. Would you say that there is a difference between lifecycle marketing and customer acquisition marketing? Or are you more or less trying to do the same thing? You're just using different channels. Yeah. I mean, to me, I need to work with our customer acquisition marketing to help the entire company achieve the goals for top of funnel at KPIs. End of the day, it's like we're spending money to drive people to our website. That's how most people are getting to most websites is like we're spending money on it. But obviously not everyone's going to convert on that visit. So it's my job to then figure out these people that have some interest but are not fully committed yet to capture email, capture SMS, help educate, help motivate, and drive that top of funnel conversion. And a lot of times with a lot of companies, I'll actually work with them to help reduce the cost of acquisition. You know, if we're going to reduce the amount of people we're sending to the site, then that's going to reduce the amount of people that I can convert. So I need to step it up on the lead nurture experience because I know that we're going to have a drop in volume. So how can I increase my conversion rate if possible to help still get that CAC where it needs to be? So to me, I think that what I do is somewhat similar a little bit to like helping the top of funnel, but also I have to think of it from a education and motivation, a little bit of a longer tail conversion versus just paid. But obviously I work with them because I can't convert if we're not driving paid and understanding what's working for them on the paid side, whether that's creative copy, you know, whatever that is to then try to see if I can get that to work on the email side as well. So it's very collaborative for the most part for what I've done. Nice. That's nice that you're able to be collaborative like that. So let's get into Hair Story. So explain a little bit about what Hair Story does and what was it that attracted you to work for them? Yeah. So pretty much Hair Story was started to pretty much give an alternative to shampoo and conditioner. The founders worked in that space for a long time and started to kind of realize that shampoos are kind of there to strip oils and conditioners are there to put oils back. And over time, you're one, wasting a lot more water. You're probably not cleansing your hair as probably as you need to. And so they made this one cleanser that can kind of do a little bit of what shampoo and conditioner does, where it doesn't strip out your oils. It still cleanses your hair. And ideally, you waste less water because you're not having to spend as long in the shower. And ideally, you don't have to wash your hair as often. And so that's kind of like what the premise of Hair Story is, is that we wanted to provide a, an alternative solution that's better for your hair, doesn't waste as much water. And we started with one formula and now there's three addressing people that have very oily hair or very dry hair. Or if you kind of fall in between, we have a product for that. And then we also have our styling products. The new wash is what we call the cleansing product. And that takes a little bit more education. We kind of have to explain that it's not going to work the exact same as what you expect shampoo and conditioner does. It doesn't foam up, which a lot of people think is like, oh, it's working, it's foaming, but that doesn't happen there. Some people go through transition periods, you know, think about like when people move to a all natural deodorant, you know, there's a bit of a transition period there and it's very similar to here. So there's a lot more education and kind of motivation and guidance that needs to happen for the new wash. But then we also have our styling products, which are a little bit more self-explanatory, balms, waxes, oils, like those are kind of the products that we are trying to layer on to the new wash experience, but they're a little more self-explanatory and there's not as much of a learning curve for those products. And so that's what Hair Story is trying to solve is like trying to provide a, a better solution and top quality, high quality products to the customers. And as far as like what brought me to Hair Story, my boss that is the head of growth there, I have a very long relationship with, and he thought that it was to be 
an ideal fit for like my experience and what I've worked on before and like what really drives me because Hair Story has been around for about seven years, but they've been very thoughtful about how they hired. They've been very thoughtful about how they've grown. So it's still a very somewhat small company. And so coming in there to help do migrations, think about the e-commerce experience, think about the end-to-end lifecycle experience about how we're going to use Klaviyo and Shopify and then how we want to layer on different strategies and tools that kind of make sure that we're focusing on top of funnel, the bottom of funnel. And to me, it's more about this is a product that's trying to solve a problem, you know, and to me, that's always very exciting versus going to a company that's just trying to do something else someone else is doing. But, you know, being able to a company that is trying to solve problems for people that one, people may not realize even existed, educating them on why cleanser versus shampoo conditioner is important, but then trying to make sure that we provide them with the best experience and onboarding and motivation to get them to understand how to use the product properly and then tell their friends about it and, you know, keep coming back. And whether that's buying new wash or styling or whatever it is, like we just want to make sure that we stay on top of mind for that customer. And that must be a really exciting company to work for from a customer lifecycle point of view as well. You know, that like your product is solving problems. People love it, but it's down to you to like educate them and kind of keep them coming back. And there's so many ways that you could do that. Yeah, there's definitely not one solution for any of it, you know, and I think it was back to working with CX and working with product and working with not even just like the site products people, but the physical goods and the products we're actually selling to understand more about them and like, how do we need to speak to people differently about it? And that's like a very exciting, but also it can be overwhelming thing to tackle sometimes because there's so many ways that you can go about it. Yeah. So when you first joined, if you can cast your mind back, what were some of the first challenges you set about tackling? Yeah, so today's my one year, actually. Oh, no way. Congratulations. Thank you. What a great way to celebrate. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, think about all the things I've done over the last year. So when I started, it was in November. So obviously, Black Friday, Cyber Monday was a huge factor. You know, it was just like, let's make sure that we're not slowing down anything. Let's make sure that we're taking advantage of this time. And then in December, I was really able to take a step back and start to look. And some of the biggest challenges I really addressed were, one is I was kind of the first in-house lifecycle hire that they've had. And so I really had to dig deep into the performance of our entire programs. And one of the biggest things that I really focused on was thinking a lot more about the segmentation of our audiences, whether that's prospects and customers, and really understanding the open rates and click rates that were definitely below benchmark of what we needed them to be. And so really starting to make sure that we were, one, setting up the proper analytics to understand Are we converting on prospects, customers, or subscribers? Being able to segment those audiences properly and then segmenting them from a reporting standpoint, but also segmenting them in a executional standpoint where if we're going to send an email, we can't just send an email to every single person that's on our list. Like we need to send emails to people that are engaged. We need to identify people that are not engaged or inactive and then be able to set strategies of what our sending cadences are going to be for those audiences. And slowly we were able to start to see that open rate go from like a 45 to a 60% open rate. And our click rates were below 1% and they're like ranging in like the two and a half percent right now. So we saw some good growth by just kind of starting to restrain ourselves a little bit, pull back a little bit, only target the audiences that are engaged, that showed interest. And overall, just because we were reducing volume doesn't mean we were reducing conversion and engagement, but we were only focusing on the people that we thought that had the highest likelihood to convert and engage. 
And so that was like a huge foundational first step that we needed to take. Because if we weren't going to do that, then it was going to be really hard to build anything else and like understand the impacts we were making without that. And then the second was we did a migration to Shopify, which was a pretty long process because we also had seven, eight years of data that we needed to make sure is migrating properly, really thinking about restructuring how events were firing, getting our profile data sent over properly, what was needed, what wasn't needed. So that was a whole nother aspect once we got that foundation done, like we needed to then now take this new foundation and move it over to a different experience. So two massive projects to tackle from when you first joined them. Yeah, but it was fun, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to be busy for sure. It must have been like an interesting introduction to the business as well. Like you get to be across a lot and look into the data in lots of different ways. Yeah. And if anything, like it made me understand the business a lot more than I would have otherwise. You know, I understood where we needed to focus on data, where the data was messy, where we needed to understand, like if we wanted to do these big projects down the road because we were moving to Shopify, like what would and would not work and where we needed to start addressing those things. So I think even though it was a big project and kind of a pretty big deep dive from the beginning, like it gave me a lot more understanding on how our systems work and what data we had and what was possible and not possible, and then kind of setting up standards and strategy from there. Yeah. Would you say that rise in open rates and click-through rates sounds really impressive. Would you attribute that to your focusing on the customers who are more likely to reconvert And it sounded also like you had two slightly different streams going on. So you're kind of also personalizing those emails depending on their likelihood to convert. Is that correct? Yeah. So we went about it a few different ways. The first one was just purely getting the segments set up. We don't want to hit every single prospect we've ever had. Like we want to hit prospects that are somewhat recent or have been engaging and then making sure that that segment was set up properly. The second was really working with our creative teams to understand the concepts and like what the intent was behind a lot of the emails we were sending. Because if you look at some emails that we were sending a year ago versus today, like you probably wouldn't recognize that it's the same company because we needed to start making sure that we were thinking about the imagery we were using, the content we were using. We needed to stop using certain phrases and things that we used a year or two years ago that didn't really fit within the company now. So making sure that we were evolving and thinking about the intent behind a lot of our emails A lot of our emails used to be very, very long, like almost landing pages. And sometimes that's needed, but a lot of times it's we need to be driving people to the experiences and not trying to give them all the information they need from the landing page and the email. You know, we mean to make sure that it's going to be clickable, that it's going to be exciting and that we're driving to those experiences. And so that was another big aspect is like really shortening things up, asking what the intent is behind the email. What do we want something to do from it? Do we have a page that we can send them to? And then kind of creating emails and templates around that. And then I think lastly, it was really about focusing and thinking about how do we start to predict? And we started actually using a tool called Relo, which kind of helps us in its perfect Klaviyo Shopify integration, where it pretty much allows us to look at the last year of purchase history and trends, and then look at our current customers. And they're able to predict which customers have a higher likelihood of cross-selling to a styling product, which ones have a higher likelihood of making a repurchase based on when they purchase the size of it and what that looked like for other customers in that area. And then lastly, they also can do likelihood to subscription upsell, you know, because that's another huge aspect for us as as being a subscriber. And so being able to start to use more machine learning for that versus like, well, we think it's about 45 days. And then like, let's test out 30, 45 and 60 days, you know, because we didn't really have the ability to do that. And so that was another big aspect that really drove 
us pushing more automation, but it also drove us to start to have a lot better open and click rates because we were sending right messaging, right time, right audience. So those are pretty big aspects of it. And then one last thing is just our subscriber base. You know, as a subscriber, we need to treat you a little differently. We need to make sure that we're providing content that's relevant to you and not just sending you conversion emails all the time because it's like they've already converted. Now we need to motivate them. We need to make sure they get the right education, the right motivation. And making sure that if they haven't bought a styling product, let's try to upsell them a styling product just to have that kind of more well-rounded experience. And so really starting to think about stripping out our subscriber audiences from all of our other messaging and thinking about what do subscribers need to get from us and hear from us, making sure they're not unsubscribing from emails, making sure that they're clicking and not feeling like, oh, there's better offers out there if I'm not a subscriber because I keep getting all these kind of conversion focused emails. And so those are kind of the big things that really started to help the overall engagement, the overall expectations. It's cool that you're using machine learning like that. Would you say if there's other DTC brands out there listening to this who are maybe interested in getting started with that, do you need to have a certain volume of orders in order for that data to be accurate and actionable? Or is it something that you would recommend any brand could get going with? I feel like Relo could probably help you with no matter who you are. Obviously, the more data you have, the more substantial and the more accurate their recommendations are going to be. And even for us, every month we're sending more, we're identifying more people and we're converting more. So it's one of those things that as you continue to build and build and build, you'll start to see those results build and build and build every month because it continues to learn, it continues to get more data and it continues to identify new cohorts of audiences that can fall into it. And so I heard about them on a webinar I was listening to and I was like, oh, that's our exact tech stack. And those are the exact problems we have. And so I think this could be like a match made in heaven for us. And so it's done well for us so far. Nice. I'm sure Harry and Harvey at Rally will appreciate the shout out as well. We're gonna... They're great. They're great guys. And they've been very, very helpful for us. Nice. We've talked a lot about email, Clavio, but you also mentioned that that's how customer lifecycle marketing started, but now you're across a lot of different channels. So how do they all like map together from a customer retention point of view? Yeah, so Clavio is kind of like the main source that we use for our email experience. We have a hairdresser side as well that's obviously a little smaller than the D2C side, but we still use Clavio and SMS for them. We also are leveraging Wonderkin for top of funnel for email capture, but more importantly, identifying anonymous visits that we actually have emails for to then go back out and send out category or product or cart abandoned emails based on what they're looking at, based on what they've added to cart. And then we also leverage them for SMS from the D2C side. Wonderkin has been able to help us definitely ramp up our top of funnel conversion just because we're able to identify so many more people than we normally would be and then, you know, be able to reach back out to them with SMS and email for those conversions. We also have started digging into some more win back direct mail experiences, but thinking about it from a systematic point of view. So we use Postpilot because they directly integrate into Klaviyo and we can just set up our win back segments. And every time someone falls into a win back segment, we can send one off pieces of direct mail to them. We've started to see in some really good pickup on our WinBack experiences and starting to really think about the different segments of what WinBack is for us. Because it's like, is it 180? Is it 270? Is it 365 days? Is it more likely that someone's going to be a four-time purchaser WinBack or a one-time purchaser WinBack? And so really starting to dig into like, what does WinBack look for us? And knowing that people are not engaging with emails as much, but also knowing that hitting someone that hasn't engaged with an email in a year is potentially a little risky. 
that direct mail is a great add-on channel for us to kind of reach back out to them and to get them to come back and engage. And so like those are kind of the main ones we're using. And then we're also really focused on the cancellation experience as well, making sure we're not just asking like, why are you leaving and saying thanks, bye, but asking why they're leaving and trying to provide some solutions for them before they cancel based on the reasons that they've given. So that's kind of like what we've built up over the last year is not just we're going to send some emails, but it's we need to make sure we're targeting as many people on the top of funnel as possible, leveraging SMS and email, thinking about what the onboarding experience looks like, but really thinking about what that repeat rate experience looks like, and then focusing on subscription, making sure we're providing the best experience for them, making sure we're asking the right questions, and then really focusing on the win back aspect of it down the road. Nice. Okay. There were two follow-up questions I wanted to ask about that. On the Winterkin side, so you're using it to identify anonymous visitors. What's the sort of messaging you use? Because I feel like there might be some brands a little bit reticent in case it comes off a bit. Like we've been keeping tabs on you. Like, do you just like lean into that or what's the approach? Yeah, we try to make it as specific as possible. So it's one of those where I used to even do like systematic direct mail where it was based on matching IP addresses to like someone's house because they visited your site and then sending their mail. We've seen people get really freaked out. I was like, wait, how'd you know I was on your site? For Wonderkin, though, I think we try to be as specific as possible. And it's more around, hey, we noticed that you were interested in our styling products. Here's the ones that we think would be best for you. Or if it's a specific product, we think, hey, we saw that you were really interested in Balm. We think that Balm is a great for these reasons. We think that you should try it out. And then it gets on the cart abandoned, which is a little more straightforward. It's like, okay, I know I put something in a cart. But we want to make sure that we're always kind of feeding back to the thing that we knew that they were looking at. So it's not just like, hey, we saw you're looking around. It was more like, we saw that you were interested in this specific product. Because at some point, they did give us an email. And so they know who we are. They've engaged with us. And so one thing Wonderton does a good job of is knowing what the intent tiers are of categories, the highest, product second, and then cart lowest. And so we're never going to be hitting someone every time with one of those. It's once you fall into the next highest intent tier, then you fall into that group. And that's what we'll message you around. And then if you fall into cart abandoned, then you fall out of the other ones. And like, we'll only focus on that. So I think to me, it's really about being as specific as possible, making sure that it's not just a general, like we saw you looking around, but it was like these specific products are what we saw that you were interested in. And they knew that they were there. They knew that they were looking on the site and that they were interested in those products. So, so far we haven't really had too much of a concern around like, why do you know all these things about me? We just want to make sure that if you're showing intent on our site, we want to make sure we're following back up with you. So to me, it's really just kind of like a retargeting. We're just retargeting the same way anyone else would retarget for ads. Yeah, nice. And that message of like, we saw you were interested in this product is a bit of a softer message as well, in a way, isn't it? It's not like you visited this page on this day at this time, because that would be terrifying. Yeah, it's more of like, we know that you're interested and here's why this product is great and here's why you should go and buy it. Yeah, nice. And with direct mail, which you mentioned as well, what are some of the success you've seen with that and how do you track the conversions from it? So direct mail is a little obviously more complicated. There's not a direct click to site experience there. And so it kind of depends on the companies I worked for previously and how we handle direct mail. We can look at it from like an incremental ad because we can always say like, well, we know that someone that got a direct mail piece that converted within, you know, in defining 15 to 20 days, 15 to 30 days and has also engaged with these other channels, like if they got a direct mail piece, what was the likelihood of them converting at a higher rate? And so we always do holdout groups to make sure like, oh, 
is the holdout group not getting this converting at the same rate? Or do we see that people getting direct mail in the exact same comparison are converting at 15% higher? And that gives us some indicators on is the direct mail working or not? And I think since QR codes have become more relevant, direct mail has become a little bit more direct to website because right now a lot of people leverage the QR codes and go straight to it. And then we can like embed a coupon code. So we can track those coupon codes specifically for the QR codes. Luckily, we're not spending $20,000 for every drop or send we do. We do it very incrementally. And so we can see certain segments are sending a lot, but not converting a lot. And so we can say like, hey, we're going to hold off. We're going to stop that segment. But these other ones are doing really well. So we can still focus on that segment and then start to figure out how can we test into the segments that are having the most people use the coupon codes. And so right now that's how we're doing it. You know, obviously if you have a very large analytics team and you can like think about what's the incremental value added for every direct mail piece sent out, you know, that's a great way to do it. But, you know, I think to me, it's really about we just need to prove out the value. And then as we grow and as we scale, then that's really where, you know, you can start to be a little bit more, you know, if you think about like doing a multi-attribution modeling experience, which we're not at yet. So understanding that multi-touch attributions a little far away for us, but we can at least understand the indicators of, is this working or not working? You know, are we wasting money? Or are we coming out flat? Or are we seeing some incremental value just based on the coupon codes and like the overall sends that we're doing to kind of compare. Yeah. Have there been any messages or like creative angles from direct mail that you've seen work particularly well? The biggest thing we've seen work from direct mail is leaning into larger sizes of our new wash because new wash comes in eight, 20 and 32 ounces. And most people are coming in and getting an eight ounce. And most people that are leaving and not coming back, we're on an eight ounce. And One of the biggest things that we see for people that are canceling subscriptions, at least, is I have too much product. And so like knowing that that's a potential issue that we see people having, the biggest thing that we did testing on, we realized that people that have not come back, a lot of it doesn't mean that they didn't like the product. It could have meant that they just have too much product. But pretty much like we started to realize that people didn't want to come back and just buy another eight ounce. But if we discounted our 20 ounce a little bit, because we have better margins on 20 ounce and we know that a discount on a larger size is a little more appealing. We saw that people really wanted to get a discount on 20 ounce because it can last a lot longer. They don't have to worry about coming back and buying again and they get a bit of a discount on it. And so that worked a lot better for us than just trying to give them a discount on an eight ounce. And we even tried to upsell to subscriptions, but getting someone to win back and upsell to a subscription was one of the lowest converting aspects that we had. Even though subscriptions are much better LTV, end of the day, a 20 ounce is a great LTV as well. A larger size is still a good LTV for someone that potentially was never going to come back. And so that's what we clicked into and realized about for win back audiences is don't focus on the subscription commitment. Don't focus on what they've already bought, but really focus on just the value of getting a larger size. And that's worked pretty well for us. Nice. That's interesting. If I really like a product, I would buy it in bulk as well. It's just cost saving for that person to... Yeah. Ideally, it's always going to be better if you buy a larger size or buy multiple in one purchase, you know? Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, let's go back to Clavio. And I was wondering if you could explain a little bit. I know this is probably going to be a mammoth answer that you might have to give, but what does the Clavio journey look like from once a customer has become a customer on Airstory? What are the journeys that they would then go down depending on their behaviors? Yeah. So... I think one of the biggest 
gray areas that most CPG companies have is you just don't have a lot of direct feedback. You're using an app and you understand immediately if someone's taking actions or not taking actions. And so for CPG offline brands, you need to really start focusing on testing of what's going to engage people the most. And so right now, as a customer, you can come in as a one-time purchaser or you can come in as a subscriber or you can come in as being referred from your hairdresser. So like those are the three main ones. But overall, if you're a first-time purchaser, you should still be getting educated and motivated the exact same way, no matter the channel you came in on. The main things that change a little bit are HDCs, we reference the fact that they came from a salon, and subscribers, we make sure they understand what subscription management looks like. But overall, everyone still needs to go into our onboarding experience. And the main purpose and main goal of the onboarding experience is to remind them like why they bought the product and educate them on like the differences of how to use the product versus a shampoo and conditioner showing more video like and that's one thing that we're trying to create a lot more of is like video content about how to use it what's the differences but really kind of making sure they understand what to expect from that and then really leaning into testimonials people that have already used the product that have seen good results that get people excited about what their experience is gonna be focusing and leveraging and within 15 days, making sure that we ask like what their experience is so we can kind of help guide them. You know, if people are telling us they're having a bad experience and we want to send them straight to our customer service team. You know, we want to make sure that we're addressing those issues that they are having. And if they're telling us that they're having a great experience, then we kind of want to like not be too hands-on at that point, but keep sending them those kind of motivational and educational pieces of content. And then when you get down towards the end, we start to think about subscription and repurchase experiences in the onboarding experience. And every size, you'll have a bit of a different time frame. So if you bought an eight ounce versus a 32 ounce, we know you're going to be going through those at very different experiences. And so we're not going to try to sell someone that bought a 32 ounce at the same time. We're going to try to resell someone that bought an eight ounce. You know, those consumption experiences are going to be very different. And so that's about a 30-day onboarding experience. We are very hands-on at the beginning and then kind of want to back off a little bit towards the end and really focus on just keeping people educated and motivated on using the product. And then if we see that they haven't bought a styling product, we also kind of trigger some styling upsells because we want to make sure that they're not just focusing on the new wash, but they're also getting some benefits of a balm or a wax or something like that as they use the new wash if they didn't buy that together. And then once you fall out of the onboarding experience, then that kind of begins your triggered and one-off campaign journey where we are trying to send at least one to two one-off campaigns per week and ideally trying to create different content for subscribers versus customers, what I mentioned earlier, where we don't want to send subscribers emails about a discount that we're going to have on a kit or something like that. But we do want to send subscribers emails around how to do different hairstyles with our different styling products and the ways that we can start to create more testimonial emails about how, you know, if you have super oily hair, like how our rich product does really well for you people that have had oily hair and what their experiences have been. And so really starting to make sure that we're creating content that's relevant and that we're mixing in education along with conversion throughout the month. So it's not just all conversion. It's not just all education, but trying to figure out the balance between those. And then you're going to start to fall into your Relo programs where we're identifying when the next likelihood of your repurchase is going to be. We start to do programs that allow you to refer your own hairdresser. A lot of people have very good connections and relationships with the hairdresser. 
starting to get them on board and then starting to think about what does win back look like for us? What does that 180 day experience look like for us? And really start to make sure that we're getting as much automation out there as we can. And then for the subscribers, we start to really look at like what a surprise and delight look like. And so the biggest thing is just getting people through that first 30 days. And then we want the one-off campaigns to be very educational and motivational and make sure they're getting those once to twice a week, assuming they're still engaging within our emails and SMS. And then it's really starting to figure out how do we leverage the one-offs to educate and motivate? How do we leverage the automations to be more about the right time to convert, the right time to message? And then we still have our entire subscription journey that people are going through that the first and second order or repeat when your subscription actually happens. You know, when you get that three day, like, hey, your first payment's coming up. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that first payment. Those are very critical for us. And so we're really starting to look into what does surprise and delight look like for our customers, you know, to get them over those hops to kind of say like, oh, you're going to have a mystery item coming in your next order and doing a lot of testing into that. And then lastly, we'll still have our direct mail experience and stuff like that if you really fall out. But really it's once you get out of the onboarding experience, it's really about identifying when the right time is for you to repurchase, but also making sure that we're sending educational and motivational pieces of email and SMS throughout that experience too, like thinking about one-offs and things like that. And then our next phase is, you know, collecting more data on our customers so we can customize and personalize emails that match who they are as a customer. We wanted to stop just guessing when the right time was to get them to repurchase. So we wanted to invest in Relo. We want to make sure that it's not just us sending the same images and the same copy to everyone because everyone has different needs and concerns about their hair. And we need to start being a lot more thoughtful and like really dig into that aspect of it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's an awful lot going on there. I appreciate you breaking that down for us. I really like the idea of you clocked the the recurring payment emails is often a churn chance. And that like idea of throwing a mystery item in there, I think that is definitely something other DTC brands could use to keep people wanting to see what comes next. So when that three-day reminder email does hit, you're not as concerned about it because you already know that you're getting a mystery item in your next box. So like the mentality of it changes a little bit versus like, oh no, I have to pay. It's like, oh yeah, like I'm going to get something free coming up. So tries to change the way people look at those kinds of emails. Yeah, nice. I like it. You mentioned a little bit about commissioning content, especially video content for lifecycle marketing. How does that work? Is that you'll run your own shoot or maybe if you've got a new products coming up, you work with the new acquisition team or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, the creative side of it is definitely not where my expertise lies. So I really rely on our creative team a lot. But right now we kind of approach it two ways. One, in our offices in New York, we have a hair studio upstairs. And so for a lot of our emails, if we want to do like, this is how you style for the holidays, or this is how you use balm or powder in certain ways, we can go up there and, you know, we have hairdressers that are always in there that we can leverage for, you know, their assistance. And they can go in and we can create content pretty quickly for it, whether that's just getting video shots so we can use animation or just imagery. And then we can create five different emails of content in one day because we're like, okay, we want to do these five ideas all at once and we can knock it out in two hours or something like that. That's like one of those, like where as long as we plan and strategize about it the right way and make sure that the right people are in the office at the right time, we can create content that's really quality content pretty quickly. What we're doing now, we've built out our creative team a lot more. Our creative director has a vision and like a true understanding of like what we need as far as education goes. That takes a little longer and we kind of have to 
find that balance around like, okay, well, we need video, but creating video content is going to be a much larger ask. And we need to make sure it's done well. And we need to make sure we do as much of it as one time as we can. So I'll put in what the requests are that we're going to need for our onboarding experience for video that doesn't exist right now. But understanding it's not going to get turned around in a week. It may take months to actually get done. And so like, how does my strategy and planning change a little bit between when it's we don't have it versus when we do have it? What are those band-aid solutions we can use until that video content is there? But it's more about collaborating with our creative team to be like, hey, like, I think these five things are going to be really needed. We don't have a place to send people for this. We don't really have a way of communicating this properly outside of like a huge long landing base you have to read through. So like these types of video assets, I think would be very critical for people engaging and getting more out of our onboarding flow. And then working with them to kind of figure out what timeline looks like, you know, when we think we'll have it. And then figuring out, okay, if we don't have that until then, like, can we send them to our social page? Can we send them to our Instagram account? Because we do have some short collections there that they can look at until we feel like we've produced something that's going to be even better than what Instagram can provide and then start sending them there. And so that's kind of the way that we approach it, whether it's like, can we do this in-house upstairs real quick and like knock it out? Is this something that's going to need a much larger investment and commitment? And if so, like, what's that time frame look like? And then what are our A, B, and C plans to kind of make sure that we're still moving on it, but knowing that we're not going to have like the final assets for three months or something like that. And so like, those are kind of the two ways that we go about it right now is depending on what we need, how quick we need it, and like the level of investment and quality that we need from it, and then strategize and plan around that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I think now we're just going to wrap out with a few closing questions. So I did have one. Apart from Asteroid course, which other DTC brands do you think are really setting the standard in their own lifecycle marketing at the minute? Yeah, I think Roe and Hims and Hers are doing a great job from in the D2C space because they're trying to make and provide, whether it's weight loss or any kind of medical need, a little more transparent and easier for the average D2C person to get. And so I think that they're doing a really good job, both of those brands, at kind of redefining who they are as a company, but still staying really true to the core aspect of who they are. And if you sign up for their emails, I think their emails are great. I think they do a great job of kind of defining and like explaining the process of something that can be very, very difficult. I'm a big fan of Fellow. It's a coffee company out of San Francisco, but I think they do a great job at reaching back out to me as far as the products I've bought. They are always coming out with new products that are a little more advanced and more in line. And the other day I was like, I don't think they ever had an espresso grinder. And then three weeks after that, they started putting out espresso grinders and they started hitting me up because they knew that I had been in their coffee subscription experience before. And they knew that I had bought kettles and other things from them before. And so they started promoting the early access to their espresso specific grinder to me. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is sleek. It looks good. It's a little expensive, but they know who their audiences are and they know how to like reach out and talk to them. So I think Fellow is also doing a really, really good job. And I think their products are just really well thought out and like really curated and they do some great collaborations too with other companies so you can get like kind of one-off branded things that you know only exist for a short amount of time so i think fellow is also one of the dc companies that really sticks out to me cool okay thank you well we're gonna leave it there i want to say a big thank you to you ben there's loads of interesting information that we touched on for other dc brands looking to get started on customer lifecycle marketing or even improving what they're already doing so yeah thank you so much for joining us Thank you. It's been a great experience. I'm happy to hear it. And for all of you listening or watching this at home, thank you also for joining us. And we'll catch you on the next episode. 
Thank you so much for listening to e-commerce marketing 101, how to grow your D2C brand. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the series for actual tips you can use in your own e-commerce marketing. This podcast series is brought to you by Dash. If you need to get your visuals in front of potential customers faster, or you're sick of spending too much time sending assets to your retail partners, then we might have just what you've been looking for. Take a leap from leading e-commerce brands like Passenger Clothing and check out Dash.app. Just go to Dash.app to take out a free trial and try it for yourself.